Hi there, everyone. My name is Abdul Rahman, and I am a neuroscientist. And today, I am accompanied with a very humble and a very senior Jungian psychoanalyst, Dr. Maris Tain. Dr. Maris Tain is a graduate of Yale University, and from University of Chicago, he did his PhD, and he also graduated from C.J. Jung Institute of Zurich. He is a founding member of Interregional Society of Jungian Analysts and of the Chicago Society of Jungian Analysts. He has been the president of International Association for Analytical Psychology and the president of International School of Analytical Psychology, Zurich. Thank you so much, Dr. Stain, for joining me today on uh, a very important topic in Jungian psychology. Yes, thank you. Um, we're going to talk about the anima and the animus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, Anima and the animus are uh, a part of Jung's theory that uh, he put forward <clears throat> as a result of his experiences and uh, research and clinical work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they belong to an area of his uh, theory called um, theory of the archetypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anima and animus are archetypal elements of the uh, human psyche, and as such, they belong to the collective unconscious. They are not personal. They um, are similar uh, in their features and dynamics cross-culturally and universally. Mm-hmm. So I'm called the archetypes, the building blocks of the human psyche. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are a pair, anima and animus, as Jung writes about them, Uh, in his book, Ion, um, are a syzygy. They are a couple. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, they are two aspects, um, related aspects of the self, and they represent different uh, possibilities for self-realization. The Mm -hmm. tendency is to identify more with one than the other, leaving the other in the unconscious. Um, And... um, uh, traditionally, uh, the uh, male-female uh, genders have fallen into two groups, the males identifying more with the animus side in their consciousness and the females more with the anima side in their consciousness, leaving the opposites um, in the unconscious. So the uh, person who identifies with the animus side as an unconscious that's characterized by the anima, and Mm -hmm. vice versa, a person who identifies with the anima side uh, leaves the animus behind in the unconscious, and so the unconscious of that person is characterized by the animus. Now, what do they mean? Um, Jung writes about that a great deal. Uh, In part, you can say they're gendered. The anima is feminine. The animus Mm -hmm. is masculine. But um, uh, that's a rather superficial aspect of the nature of these archetypes. Mm -hmm. Um, The anima really represents eros and the connecting principle, the relational principle that all human beings have in them, whether conscious or unconscious. And the animus represents the differentiating, uh, the cognitive principle in all human beings. And some people identify more with that side and leave the relational side uh, out in the unconscious. And traditionally, Mm -hmm. men 
have identified more with the animus or spiritual differentiating cognitive side, and women more with the eros, connecting, linking, relational animus side. So Jung would say in his culture, women um, identified with the anima and their unconscious was characterized by the figure of the animus and vice mm -hmm. versa. Men identified with the animus side of the syzygy and their mm -hmm. unconscious was characterized by the anima. And so uh, they need each other in order to form a wholeness or a totality and they look for each other. Now in our times, um, postmodern times, um, this does not hold nearly as true to the modern man and woman as it did in Jung's time, because women have been liberated from the patriarchy to a large extent, and they can pursue options, um, uh, intellectual op options, animus options, let's say, uh, in their early years and develop very much an identity on the differentiating intellectual cognitive animus side as professional women and leave out the um, uh, relational or eros side, perhaps until later in life when they decide that they want to have children, they want to have a relationship, and then they have to pull that forward in them in their, uh, and, and integrate that part of themselves. Mm -hmm. Men, likewise, uh, are able nowadays not to identify as strongly with the animus side, in a, either in a primitive or a sophisticated sense, becoming athletes or intellectuals. They also have the ability, culturally, to um, find themselves um, um, in, a, in a position of um, uh, anima development, that they become much more um, uh, orientated in their consciousness by relationship and by what would traditionally have been considered feminine values or eros values. So we're in a more complex situation today than we were in Jung's time. But the important thing to keep in mind about anima and animus is that they are archetypal. And even uh, as much as you integrate uh, the contents mm -hmm. of the uh, two aspects, you don't, you can never integrate the, the um, fundamental dynamic aspects of them. Those remain beyond conscious uh, um, uh, integration. We can integrate something of the contents uh, from the unconscious, but not the underlying dynamics. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, that was a great explanation. I have a question here. Like in your book, uh, Young's Map of Soul, uh, in the chapter of Adama Animus, you wrote that like initially uh, we can say anima or animus is something very opposite to persona, right? So, like, so, uh, and you also mentioned that in a very feminine looking woman, uh, her inner attitude would be very aggressive, domineering, and critical, right? So, like a man who uh, is very feminine looking, or uh, if his eros aspect is very dominant, so his anima would be like very kind of masculine. So, according to that, would it be very masculine? His anima is uh, something very feminine. But according to uh, this theory, if like a man is very much uh, dominant in eros, right? So his anima would be something opposite? No, um, his persona would reflect the anima. The persona uh, is the, um, 
it's a part of um, the personality that we use to relate to the cultural world around us. Mm -hmm. And that cultural world accepts a man who is strong on feeling and eros and relational, um, maybe artistic, um, um, interested in music and the arts and, and decorating and so on. He will form mm -hmm. a persona uh, that reflects the anima. And his unconscious will be characterized by the animus. In other words, the, uh -huh. uh, the anima. Uh, the anima or animus are always the opposite of the persona, and mm -hmm. they don't particularly get along well with the persona because they see the persona as phony. I see. Um, so the mm -hmm. persona is a kind of uh, false self mask that mm -hmm. we wear to uh, meet the public. Um, and the truth of the matter is we are complex. So mm -hmm. if we meet the public and, and we meet the world around us, as a kind of soft male, let's say, anima-type mm -hmm. male, mm -hmm. uh, then uh, what we are leaving out of ourselves is the differentiating, more aggressive, more um, uh, structural, controlling um, aspect of ourselves. And that lies, uh, that remains in the unconscious and gets contaminated with the shadow. The, um, the part of ourselves that we don't integrate into consciousness and use in the persona uh, is uh, becomes part of the shadow and the those aspects of the personality that are not developed we call shadow aspects but they go deeper than the personal shadow their their underlying uh, uh, dynamics are fundamental the shadow is often made up of um, uh, parts of the the personality that are just socially unacceptable Mm -hmm. uh, and those get uh, mingled with the other parts of the unconscious that aren't developed, such as the anima or the animus. Mm -hmm. Let's say a, a, a woman develops very strongly on the animus side. Um, mm -hmm. She isn't animus possessed. She, she has developed her cognitive differentiating function. She's an intellectual. She's a professional woman. She's in the business world. Um, mm -hmm. Her anima is unconscious, is less developed. Mm -hmm. uh, so her unconscious would be characterized by the eros function. She doesn't use that very much. She doesn't want it. She doesn't want it in her professional world. It gets in the way, so she rejects it. Mm -hmm. However, when she gets into relationships, and, or she wants to have children, it, it's required. And then she starts experiencing the arrows. I've worked with a lot of women like this in my practice. They develop very strongly on the professional side. Then later in life, um, they decide that maybe it would be nice to have a partner or get married and have a child. And then they have to really struggle. It doesn't come natural to them because they haven't developed it. Uh, a woman who has strongly developed the anima side of the syzygy finds that world very natural. She's a master at it. She can manipulate men like crazy because she knows exactly how to play them because they're unconscious of the arrows function. Uh, and she uses that uh, power and that ability. But a professional woman who has developed the anima side doesn't know how to do that at all. She comes across as a sort of man-type woman, you know, a masculine woman. Um, and so, she doesn't so that would, manipulate so that, men with so, her and her arrows. Mm -hmm. 
So that wouldn't be the animus possession in that kind of no, woman? No, that's not animus possession. Animus possession is a woman who's, who's identified with the animus side, who's developed mm -hmm. the, the anima capacities of relationship, and the animus is undeveloped. When she's, when she's possessed by the animus, she, she pretends to think but doesn't think because she hasn't developed those cognitive functions. Mm -hmm. She's full of opinions, but she, isn't, she can't think clearly. She hasn't developed that. If she's developed the animus side, she can think very clearly, but she's clumsy uh, at the eros side. Uh -huh, that makes sense. So, like we, uh, I have heard uh, the animus possession or anima possession in terms of inferior function, as John B. talks about. So, how does anima and animus possession differs from? Uh, the very normal anima, animus possession, or eros possession, or logos possession, uh, as compared to John Beebe's inferior function, uh, which he relates yeah, to anima. To, yeah, it's the same as the inferior function. It's undeveloped. It's an undeveloped function. When the undeveloped function possesses the personality, the personality is out of control. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, say you're a thinking type, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you get possessed by your inferior function, the feeling function, which also be the anima, you can't think anymore. Uh, you, you get very emotional, you get very passionate, um, mm -hmm. your thinking function gets knocked out completely, you become like a different person. A man who's anima possessed uh, is possessed of, of fantasies and mm -hmm. uh, dreams and uh, you know impossibilities. Uh, he projects the anima onto a woman or onto um, onto a, a collective, and, and he thinks he knows what he's dealing with, but he doesn't. He isn't thinking. He's, mm -hmm. he's, um, he's projecting, that means uh, he's delusional. You see politicians doing this. Anima-possessed mm -hmm. politicians live in a delusional world. They believe their illusions. They actually believe them. And other people yeah, say, that's but you're, you're, uh, that isn't the truth, that isn't reality. They said, no, it is. I, I know it is. Mm -hmm. That's not in my possession. Ah, I see. So, uh, the anima, when it's unconscious, is a spinner of illusions. Mm -hmm. uh, when it's conscious, it's a master uh, at relationships. It doesn't spin illusions when it's conscious. Mm -hmm. When it's unconscious, it's an illusion maker. Mm -hmm. e even in the terms of inferior function, it's just, as you mentioned earlier, it would be very opposite to the persona. So, I think... That, that's even same for the inferior function, as you mentioned. Right. So uh, the next is, like, how does marriage and falling in love is psychologically affiliated with anima and animus projection? How, how would you explain that? Well, if you marry uh, out of love, out of infatuation, let's say, not, not uh, we can make different differentiations <laughs> in the term love, what is love? But when people fall in love, that means they, they rather lose their normal ego functioning. They aren't thinking clearly. They aren't seeing clearly. They're imagining that the other person is perfect and they mm -hmm. can't live without them and they obsess about them. They're in, uh, they're in a state of possession. Now, what often happens is that one in the couple is in a state of possession and the other one isn't. Mm -hmm. um, so the one who is in a state of possession isn't seeing things very clearly but is feeling full of emotion, very inflated and delusional. The one who is not in a state of possession sees the possibilities uh, realistically. And uh, say a man, an older man falls in love with a beautiful young woman. Uh, mm -hmm. He's head over heels in love with her. 
And she looks at him and she thinks, he's a pretty good catch. He's got money, he's got position. If we have children, they will be well-placed. And she's thinking very clearly. Now, he's not thinking very clearly at all. He's in a state of possession. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be the other way around. The woman can be in love with a man, and the man looks at her and says, oh, she's got money. Uh, or uh, with her, I can, make, I can make my way in life much better than without her. And he's, he's calculating, he's thinking, he's being realistic. So often it's the, the people who get married, uh, fall in love and get married. One is more in love than the other one. One is thinking, mm-hmm. and the other one is um, fabulating. Uh, they're, they're living in a, in a world of illusions, which will then crash, and they will face reality, and maybe they'll be lucky, and they have a good partner. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll be unlucky, and they've really made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. So, uh, James Hollis, in his book, The Eden Project, mentions that the, behind the search for magical other lies the archetypal power of parental images. So, like, uh, our relation with our mother and father, they, they shape our anima and animus, right? And we uh, project that onto the partner. Not really. Um, the, the, the source of the anima, you could say, is in the mother, uh, in the mother archetype, and the source of the animus is in the father archetype, but I wouldn't make it personal. Those are archetypes also. And the anima is different from the mother. The mother is containing and nurturing the anima is transforming. She's a dynamic force. Mm-hmm. You're involved with an anima, you change. You change your life. Uh, she changes you. Uh, a mother doesn't. She takes care of you. She holds you in her lap and she mm-hmm. feeds you and you know, nurtures or she devours you, <laughs> eats you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the mother and father are not the anima and animus. The, um, uh, on a personal level, we have complexes and we have archetypes. We have a mother a complex and a father complex. Those are based on our personal experiences of mother and father, mm-hmm. mom and dad. And then we have mother and father archetypes. Mm-hmm. And the archetypes are impersonal. You mm-hmm. find those in religions, father, father gods and mother goddesses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not personal. Um, but they represent uh, different aspects of the archetypal psyche. Um, so um, uh, it isn't that you fall in love with, with your mother and you think it's the anima. The anima is separated. Uh, you have to leave your mother. After you leave your mother, you fall in love with a woman who is the anima. And the anima comes out of the mother, maybe has some distant relations or connections to her, but she's very different from the mother, as the anima is different from the father. You know, girls grow up with alcoholic, good-for-nothing fathers, and they become intellectual. Mm-hmm. They become mm-hmm. animus identified. That isn't their father. Or they, uh, or they marry a man who's very different from their father because they want to get away from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, that's, uh, I wouldn't make that equation at all, that anima and animus are reflections mm-hmm. or uh, stand-ins for mother and father. You know, studies were done years ago in California about who do you marry? Do, you, do, do boys marry their mother and girls marry their father? Mm-hmm. And the study showed no. Uh, yes, boys marry their mothers, but girls also marry their mothers. Um, mm-hmm. Because in marriage, we often are looking for comfort and security and looking exactly. for uh, nurturance. And so it's, uh, but if you marry out of love, out of an anima projection, you aren't looking for nurturance, you're looking for an adventure. You want to go somewhere. I mean, she's going to take you there. 
the anima is very dynamic. Mm -hmm. The animas uh, gives structure. The animas gives structure and meaning. So, uh, say a woman falls in love with a philosopher, what is she mm -hmm. falling in love with? She's falling with a man who can think and who brings exactly. order into her chaotic life. And she needs that. She wants that. Mm -hmm. uh, because she hasn't developed it in herself. If she has, she won't fall in love with it. She mm -hmm. doesn't need it. She'll fall so in that love. That would be very common in a conventional woman. What? Uh, so that would be very common in a conventional woman who uh, have a very strong feminine and then she would fall with someone who is a critical thinker maybe? Yeah, who offers structure. Mm -hmm. Offers structure, uh, cognitive abilities, out of, out of uh, order life, put it together uh, and uh, be able to um, you know, live a structured life in the world. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, maybe because she wants to develop her spiritual life, she might fall in love with a priest, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Krishnamurti or somebody like that. Those are the mm -hmm. people that often idealize, you know, these very spiritual men, the gurus, yep. uh, the teachers, Jesus Christ, Buddha, uh, Krishnamurti, people like that. Mm -hmm. That's true. So, uh, Young in his book, The Development of Personality, talks uh, uses the term contained and container uh, while talking about anima and animus and while people are relation he says one as contained and other as container so could you briefly explain uh, what do they mean in uh, like relationship and marriage well he uses those terms in a in an essay that he wrote on marriage in the 1920s and he said in marriage um, usually one personality is the container and the other is, is the contained. So the one who is the container is the larger personality. The one who is contained is the um, lesser personality. And uh, he was thinking of probably himself and his wife, Emma. Mm -hmm. Young was a very big personality. Um, but Emma also contained him. That can reverse. You know, in some areas of life, um, the one partner can be the container and the other one the contained, and then in other areas of life, it goes the other way. So in the home situation, um, Emma Young certainly was the container, um, and she also provided most of the money. Uh, she was an heiress, she had a lot of money, she, they built a nice house, she decorated it, he lived in it, um, and so he was contained by Emma. But in the intellectual world, at the psychological club, when they went on lecture tours together and so on. He was the big figure. And everybody looked to him, and she was contained in him. She came along. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. She was very intelligent, but she was mm -hmm. not educated. Uh, mm -hmm. Girls in those days in Switzerland could not go to the university. They were not allowed to go to the university. So she was very intelligent and self-taught. She became an analyst, um, and a very good analyst. People really liked her. Uh, but in the couple, people, uh, if they looked at this couple, they would say, well, Jung is the big personality, Emma is, is a lesser personality. But in their intimate life, she probably was more powerful than he, with the children, the grandchildren, in Eros areas. She was very relational. She was mm -hmm. a traditional uh, European woman of her day, who in the second half of her life developed the animus. Um, that's what the women around Jung did. They were traditional women, they had families, they had children, they had developed uh, the Eros side, and in the second half of life, they developed, developed the Animus side. 
They went to school, they, they studied, they wrote books, they lectured, they founded the Young Institute in Zurich. Those were the women that did all that kind of stuff. And um, they were all in the second half of life, mature people with very strong um, intellectual and mental capacities. Mm -hmm. So it often happens that in the first half of life, you develop one side of the syzygy, in the second half, the other side of the syzygy, in order to move toward wholeness. That's the goal of individuation, to develop both of these sides. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, uh, integrate uh, some of the contents of the anima and animus, but you cannot integrate them uh, mm -hmm. in themselves because they're archetypal. And uh, Jung says and advises people, always keep an eye on them because um, they, the, um, the key to mental health uh, in the Jungian view is to um, stay in touch with the unconscious so that you don't form a one-sided consciousness attitude that splits mm -hmm. you off from the unconscious. So you should always keep an eye on the other side. Mm -hmm. So the anima will always be active, the animus will always be active. Keep an eye on it in dreams, in, fa in your fantasies, in your feelings, in your thinking, um, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and be aware that they're active. Mm -hmm. So that means that one can uh, get in touch with the anima, uh, like really the man, uh, when they are really connected with their feelings, thoughts, uh, at the subconscious level? Yes, look at your dreams, uh, look at your mm -hmm. fantasies through active imagination. That can put mm -hmm. you in contact with these contents of the unconscious, but the underlying dynamics cannot mm -hmm. be integrated. They remain beyond uh, mm -hmm. our capacity to integrate. Great. Thank, uh, you. thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Stain, for joining me today on the podcast. Okay. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Bye. Thank you.